everybody. Do we have the decibels right? Yes, we do. We don't have to worry about them no more. Well done. Uh, it's good to be with you. Um, you may have seen me on your TV or your cell phone, not because I'm very famous, but because I preached during lockdown at some point. Uh, but my name is Nick, um, and I'm a, a minister from a church down the road in Auckland Park called Hope Church. And yeah, greetings from the saints at Hope Church to the saints at Honey Ridge Baptist. It's really a privilege and a joy to be here this morning. Thank you very much for the invitation to those who are responsible for it. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to be here. My wife and I grew up um, in Baptist churches and so uh, it's, it's nice for that reason as well, to be back, <laughs> uh, to be back and experience something like what we knew as, as kids. Um, I'm going to preach a sermon called Christmas and the God We Can Know this morning. Um, and I'm going to start by, by reading uh, the text for us. Um, so, would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of John? I'll be reading chapter 1, the first 18 verses of chapter 1. Uh, I'll refer to those verses, but uh, I'll also refer to a few other places in, in the book of John as we go. I take it we're mostly there. I'm reading from the ESV. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to, to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him. And cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Amen. So let me begin with a, a disturbing statement. You and I cannot know God. You came to church this morning not expecting to hear that. Uh, but what I mean to be precise is that if you and I began with a blank piece of paper and tried to think our way to God, we would never get to God. Even if we had a, 
triple worry whopper, we wouldn't end up with God. We don't have the processing power in our brains to comprehend God. Uh, Let me read some verses from 1 Timothy that will appear on the screen. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only one who has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. No one has seen or can see him. To him be honor and eternal might. Amen. We read of God's immortality. We read that he is alone in immortality. That is, there's something different about God. We are not immortal. We fade away and die. But God alone is immortal. In fact, just a few verses before that, uh, the book makes an even bigger claim. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all? More than just that God is immortal, that He is the source of all life. If, if our lives are like droplets of existence, then God is the ocean of life, the ocean of existence, the one who gives to us our daily breath. Uh, we read in those verses that He lives in unapproachable light. No one can see Him, and no one ever has seen Him He is too much, too great to be seen. Our God is unapproachably holy and unapproachably great. He is magnificent. A a theologian and a philosopher of some years ago uh, once wrote about something he called the infinite qualitative distinction. It's a phrase that I think is useful for unpacking this biblical truth. Uh, What the phrase says is that there is a distinction. There is something different about God. There is a distinction between God as the creator and humans as his creatures. Uh, It's a difference, a distinction. This distinction is qualitative. In other words, God isn't just different to us in that he is more than us or bigger than us. Uh, It's not that we are wise and God is wiser and we are powerful but God is more powerful. It's that God is greater, of a greater type, of a greater kind to us. Um, there There is a difference between us and God and that difference is a difference of kind or type. God is of a different essence, a different being. Yeah, it's true, we are made in His image, but He is not like us. To be made in the image doesn't mean that we should think of God being like us. He's not like us. He is of a different kind to us. The the qualitative distinction, the difference in type, is an infinite qualitative distinction, an infinite difference in type. Everything we know and grasp around us is finite and limited. Uh, Even the entire universe, which our best telescopes can't see to the end of, is in fact limited and finite. But God is infinite, unlimited. And the difference between us and God is an infinite, unlimited difference. Uh, There is no way to illustrate this. Because in the end, everything we know is is finite, limited. But let's try anyway. We might say that the difference between humanity and God is like the difference between a human being and an ant. Uh, So we are like the ants, trying to know the complexity and splendor of a human being. Think think about it. What, What does an ant know of a person? The great foot that stands on the ant. What does the ant know of that? 
Uh, I mean, maybe the sole, sole of your foot, maybe the ant catches a glimpse of your big toe. But the ant knows nothing of you. What does the ant know of anything above your foot, physically speaking? Nothing. What does the ant know of your emotional life? Does he know whether you killed him vindictively or accidentally? He has no idea. Uh, does the ant know of my thoughts or what I had for breakfast or what really matters to me in life or why I took a stroll and stepped on his head? No. He only knows slightly better than nothing about me. That what, that's what it is like for a human being to approach God. Except that even that illustration falls short. Because if you were very clever, a biologist or something like that, you could probably measure the difference between a human being and an ant. There's probably some way of doing that. But you cannot measure the difference between a human being and God. God is infinitely greater, infinitely bigger than us. Listen to the wisdom of Augustine. We are speaking of God. Is it any wonder if you do not comprehend? I take it that by comprehend, Augustine means to know everything about who God is, to know God completely. For if you comprehend, it is not God that you comprehend. Let it be a pious confession of ignorance rather than a rash profession of knowledge. To attain some slight knowledge of God is a great blessing. To comprehend Him, however, is totally impossible. There is one of the greatest minds in human history. It's totally impossible. In fact, the only person who knows God fully is God himself. It is only God who has the infinite mind necessary to know the infinite being of God. I have an extremely limited mind, and perhaps you do too, but I won't suggest anything. We'll just pin all the blame on me for now. So when I leave the house in the morning... There are about four things I need to remember. Cell phone, wallet, keys, and now, you know, mask. Okay, four things. You know, 90% of mornings I have to walk back into the door because I've forgotten something? You, I, I don't know if this is a hand-raising church, but does anyone want to agree with me? You know that most days I walk into the kitchen and then I just stand because I've forgotten what I came there for? I don't know if this is a hand-raising church, but does any... Yeah, okay, good. There are few, some of you are very honest, very good. The, what hope would you and I have of knowing God? So God is essentially unknowable, but He is not shy. He's not shy. God makes himself known in Jesus Christ. We read the whole of uh, John 1, verse 1 to 18, but I want us to focus on verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. The verse uh, starts off more or less where we started this morning. No one has ever seen God. And in fact, in the context of John 1, we might think of Moses, who's been mentioned just a couple of verses before. Remember, in Exodus chapter 33, when Moses needs some confidence in God, he wants to know that God's guiding and saving hand will be with him as he leads the people of Israel. And he asks God 
to show him his glory in order that he might have some confidence in God's presence. And God responds, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And Moses only gets to see the backside of God's glory uh, from the cleft in the rock as the story goes. No one has ever seen God. But there is one who has seen God. He is described as the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. The Son, eternally God himself, has seen God because he has eternally lived at the Father's side. I quite like how the NIV has translated that phrase, uh, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. That captures it well. Uh, the text literally says he is at the breast or at the bosom of God, where you might trust your closest relatives to be, right in near to your heart. That is where the Son comes from. You can see the intimacy and the knowledge that's implied in the text. Here is God the Son, knowing God the Father with complete and perfect intimacy, with complete and perfect knowledge, in complete and perfect love. Here is one who has the infinite mind of God necessary to know the infinite being of God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. God the Son, the true and comprehensive knower of the, of the Father, has made God known. How has He done this? How has He made God known? The eternal Son of God is born as a human being. We call this the incarnation. Uh, in verse 14, John says, The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. The Son of God becomes a man without ceasing to be God. And so he is now God and man joined together in the person of the Son. Here is a person who exists as God and man on either side of the infinite qualitative distinction. The birth of Jesus means that God walks as a man. God talks as a human being. God lives as a human being. God suffers as a human being and God dies in the person of a son as a human being. And since this is God the Son who has eternally lived in perfect knowing intimacy with God the Father, through the walking, talking, living, suffering, and dying of this man, Jesus, the Word made flesh, we know God. As a man, he reveals to us God in a way in which we can actually, with our small, finite little brains, understand. He comes as a human. Uh, this is the example of what theologians call divine accommodation. Divine accommodation says that God communicates himself to us in a way that is accommodated to our, finite, our finitudes, our smallness and our weakness. He does this. He communicates himself in our weakness in his son, Jesus. There is an amazing way in which the theologians of the Reformation used to illustrate this, so I'm copying them. They used to illustrate this uh, as a nanny speaking to a baby. So think about the last time you encountered a baby. Uh, you don't, nobody tries to impress a baby with their intelligent speech. 
Nobody goes to a baby and speaks about words like infinite or qualitative or distinction. Uh, you don't pull out your fanciest idioms and your big words. You'd be missing your audience, wouldn't you? No. Uh, if, if you use big words and fancy idioms with a baby, they'd just keep looking at you with a dull look on their face and the drool would keep running down their, their lips. Instead, when you come to a baby, you use small words. In fact, you might not use real, actual human words at all. You mostly rely on facial expressions and tone. Uh, you make grunts and noises. And if you're lucky, the baby might respond to that because on some level, the baby gets that kind of talk. It kind of gets that, it wants you, that you want it to smile uh, and, and that you've given it a reason to smile. And so maybe you do get a smile out of the baby. So it is with God. God speaks, babies speak to us so that we can understand. Because it's the only way we would understand. God sending his son as a human being is God communicating to us in baby talk. Knowing God is not about us thinking our way up to the knowledge of God. It's about God coming down to us and speaking in a way humans can understand. That we know God is down to the gracious action of God in Christ, not down to the intelligent action of our brains. So in John chapter 14, uh, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. What do you think Philip was expecting to see? Uh, maybe a big, dusty book of theology. <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, more likely, he was expecting to see something like what Moses saw. Uh, maybe he expected to be hidden in a rock and to see bright light in the back of God's glory. Maybe he expected angels. Uh, maybe he expected a ladder like what Jacob saw. Who knows what he expected to see? Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? Without your knowing me. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father? That I am in the Father? Sorry, that was very nearly a Trinitarian heresy. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. In fact, Philip, you see, has seen something much more spectacular than Moses or Jacob or a scene of angels. Philip has seen God revealed in Jesus Christ. He has seen the Son of God, our God. Is God not gracious to us that, that the high and above, the great one, the one who is so greater and bigger and better and more holy and righteous and up there and above than us, that he should come down so low in humility, in humiliation even, as a human being? Why? So that we can know him. We must be careful the knowledge we have of God is still not exhaustive and comprehensive and unlimited. We still don't know everything there is to know about God. We can never grasp Him in all His fullness. 
But in Jesus, we know God truly. And we know God as God intended for us to know him. God is known in Jesus Christ. And God is known intimately and eternally in Jesus Christ. So the other day I was uh, watching a video on YouTube that featured a famous journalist and intellectual called Christopher Hitchens. You may have heard of him. Uh, he, he really hated Christianity. He believed that all religion is poisonous, including Christianity. Uh, he was really more, not so much an atheist, more an anti-theist. He wanted to kill the idea of God. Um, so in this video, someone asked Hitchens what he would say to have a friend who was dying. So as you can imagine, that's a difficult question for him to answer because I don't think he believes much happens when you die. Um, Hitchens more or less avoided answering the question directly. And instead he said that on your deathbed, the only thing you could be told that would be really terrifying is that you are going to go on living forever. Now there is a really unbearable thought, says uh, Mr. Hitchens. I guess that he thinks of eternal life as merely life as we know it going on on the other side of the grave. And I can kind of understand, especially in 2020, why he might think of that as a bad thing. But listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh so he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Here is the definition of eternal life. Knowing God. This is the great benefit of the salvation that God has won for us, knowing God. Here is why eternal life is such a blessed and beautiful thing, because it is an eternal knowledge of God. Now, uh, every Bible scholar between here and the moon will tell you that when John uses the word know, he means more than just know information about uh, what he means is to know intimately, to know relationally, um, to know in perfect love and in perfect intimacy. Thanks to the incarnation of the Son, we have an eternal, intimate knowledge of God that we call eternal life. Let me illustrate. Uh, you could imagine a creepy person on the internet uh, who has a strange obsession with a woman in America called Jen. I made the name up. I really hope there isn't someone called Jen here today. If so, it's not about you. Okay, so this creepy person who, 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 who stalks an, a, a person in America called Jen, they might know Jen's date of birth because it's easy to find that out on the internet. Uh, they might know uh, the names of various family members and pets uh, of Jen's. Uh, he might know much about her career, when she was promoted, when she was demoted, when she moved jobs. He might know what she looks like. He definitely thinks she's very, very beautiful. Uh, he might know about some of her ex-boyfriends and he seethes over them in, in, in mad jealousy. Uh, 
He spent time studying the color of her eyes, which he knows. And he can tell you that she loves the color blue because he's noticed what clothes she wears. He knows what earrings to buy her if he should ever have the courage to do so. The creepy person on the internet knows some stuff about Jen. But the creepy person on the internet does not know Jen like I know my wife. For at least two reasons. One, it's not a relationship. It's a one-way thing. A relationship is a two-way thing. We can't speak of knowing and being known. We can only speak of one-way knowing. And two, even the one-way knowing is empty it's puffed up with hollow, meaningless facts about some faraway person. There's no relating. There's no talking or comforting. There's no shared history. There's no story that we've told together. There's no sharing of dreams or conversation. None of the things that make knowing a person really worthwhile are there. The sun did not come as a man so that you could know God like a creep on the internet knowing some true facts about him, studying him as an object far away. He came so that you could know him much better than that, so that you could know him intimately and eternally. He came so that you could know him personally. This is the very best kind of knowing. This is what John presents to us as eternal life, knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he sent Eternal life is not merely existing forever on the other side of, the de of death, but knowing God truly intimately and eternally. Uh, Jesus continues in his prayer and he, he prays, I pray not only for these, those are his disciples, uh, but also for those who, be who, who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us. So the world may believe you sent me. There is something of the closeness. May they also be one in us. The intimacy of knowing is so great that it can be spoken of in John as being within the relationships of the triune God. The Son came as God and man, ministered and gave himself as a sacrifice for sin so that we could know God truly and intimately and eternally. Let me give you some implications of that, uh, some very important implications of that. The first very joyful implication is that knowing God is not dependent on how intelligent you are. It really just isn't. There are wonderfully intelligent people out there who have written books and preached great sermons and blessed the church with their incredible minds and we thank good God for them. But good news, the clever people are not the sole owners of the knowledge of God. God is known by whoever he chooses to reveal himself to, in his Son, through his Spirit. Whether your IQ is 160 or 60, whether you have access to brilliant learning or no learning at all, whether you teach the Bible at a distinguished Bible college or your job is to dig holes, it doesn't matter. The story of Christmas is the story of God in His grace coming near to us, not us in our brilliance coming near to God. That's very, very 
good news. Because I don't imagine that any one of us in this building are the most intelligent people in the world. Though I don't know Honey Ridge very well, so I should perhaps, maybe I'd be surprised. But we are not, most of us, the intelligent elite. We're just normal people. Normal people with normal brains who forget what we came to the kitchen for. And God has made himself knowable to us. Uh, in Luke 1, as Mary works out something of what's going on in her womb, she sings, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Praise God who has been mindful of our humble state in sending his son. Uh, here's another important implication. Intimacy with God on the one hand and truth about God on the other hand are in fact inseparable. In the church we have uh, those who boast about their knowledge of God, those who claim to know about election and the Trinity and the, the sovereignty of God and the mystery of God's providence. Those who when you quote a verse to them will tell you that it's out of context and who pass Hebrew verbs or who knows whatever they can do. They know the Bible from Genesis uh, to Revelation and that's a good thing. Don't hear me looking down on that. But perhaps sometimes there is a kind of person who tends to be a little dry and rationalistic and lacking in the experience of God. On the other hand, we have some uh, who claim to have great intimacy with God. Uh, those who pray like warriors and speak in hushed tones about the Lord's provision in their lives. Those who can discern the Lord's workings in every corner of their lives. They seem to have a deep and personal nearness to God. And that's a good thing. Don't hear me saying that's a bad thing. But perhaps sometimes people who are good like that are disinterested in their Bibles, not concerned for theology. In the study of God and His Word, they are bored. They find doing serious work in the Bible a little dull. Of those two kinds of people, which are you, I wonder? Are you the type who finds intimacy with God and relationship easy? Well, to you I have to say that if what we have said about God being truly intimately and eternally known in the God-man Jesus is true, and it is true, then I hope you can see that having a profoundly rich and intimate sense of God's presence must always come with a serious-minded study of the Word of God and the person of God. Jesus has come to make God known, and that involves knowing facts. Are you perhaps the dry theologian type? Well, you dare not be better in the books than you are in prayer. The richness of your Bible reading and your serious-minded study of God's Word must always lead to a rich and intimate dependence on God, knowing of God, prayer to God, relationship with God. If that's not where it ends, you're doing it wrong. Knowing the truth about God and having an intimate, rich relationship with God work together like two hands washing one another. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, God has made himself known in a way that we can understand and in a way that is intimate and eternal. A third implication. 
If you're not already a knower of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then let me invite you to a new kind of knowing God this morning. You don't have to look for God as if he were a shy God, hiding away, playing hide and seek. You don't have to explore the various religions of the world for God. You don't have to look within yourself and see if there is something of God there. You don't have to use your best logic to think your way to a true understanding of God. Let me tell you the problem with all those things. The problem with them is that many, many people have done them and everyone gets to a different conclusion. Do you really think that your logic is so much better than everybody else's? Do you really think that what's inside of you is somehow a truer reflection of God than what is inside of everybody else? Who's to say that you're correct? Who's to say that any of them are correct? This kind of me-up genius way of knowing God just doesn't work. But here is a new way to know God in His Son. Not so much that we must find Him, but that He has found us in the giving of His Son as a man. This kind of knowing God does not rely on you uh, or on you coming to the right knowledge of God through your brilliance. In fact, you have a limited and a biased mind. Instead, it relies on God's grace and freedom in making himself known to us in his Son. And as such, because it's a, a knowing that relies, it's a knowing by faith. It's a, in other words, it's a knowing that is needy. The only way this knowing is real knowing is, is because we need God to reveal himself in this way of knowing. Because it depends on God, it's a humble knowing. It doesn't have any of the pitfalls of me thinking my way up to God because it is God who has come to make himself known to me. So come and start your eternal and true and, and wonderfully intimate knowing of God this very day. Come and find eternal life. Let me recap. One, on our own we cannot know God. He is too big and we are too small. Two, God makes himself known to us in a form we can understand. The son who knows God intimately and is God reveals him to us in his humanity. Three, to know God is a thing of truth. Yes. To know God is a thing of intimacy. Yes. To know God is a thing of eternity. Yes. Let me close in prayer. Our Father, we are confronted with your majesty and greatness, with your all-surpassing might and power, with your complete difference to us, your holiness. It is wonderful that we have such a big God. And we are filled with wonder at the fact that you would make yourself known to us, humiliate, humble yourself uh, to be a man, to come as Jesus Christ, so that we could know you. We take great joy and comfort and hope in the fact that this knowing is intimate and that it is eternal. Uh, we long for more of this knowing. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.